0: chapter 7. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John 7, I did something a little different. Uh, there's another section of John 7 that uh, last time we went through John is what I taught on a Sunday morning and I looked at that and I, I just wasn't there yet. We'll, we'll deal with it on Wednesday night. But I just started studying and we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 7 and we're just going to go a little ways and see what the Lord has for us. John chapter 7 verse 1 After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, or literally continuing to be walking in Galilee. For he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here, go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here. Your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it. That its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? And there was much, yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. And the Jews were then astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Well, the crowd answered, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel for this reason. Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Elements of scripture, all scripture is relevant. All of it speaks to where we are today. But there are certain lines on occasion you're reading and you think, wow, that could be a headline. Or that could be something I see flashed up on social media. Listen to verse four again. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And that is so 2022. If you're going to do these things, show yourselves. It's the mentality of the influencer, which is a thing. It's amazing. I, I'm, I'm trying so hard to keep up. When, when I was younger, we didn't have influencers. There were people of influence, but we didn't have influencers. Your average people jumping on social media and becoming an influencer. According to InfluencerMarketingHub.com, they tell us over the last decade, we have seen social media grow rapidly in importance. More than 3.4 billion people actively use social media. That's 45% of the world's population. I saw in another writing where it was called a, an adult pacifier. Social media today. The, the, the influencer, show yourself to the world. Get your brand out there. Market yourself. Increase viewership. Hits and likes are the new Social currency. Well, influencermarketinghub.com goes on to say inevitably these people look up to the influencers on social media to guide them with their decision making. <laughs> Brands love like you had followers if you were on Twitter like everyone's a rabbi or something, you know. I, I thought that was so weird. I didn't like the idea of having followers, it just sounded strange to me, but it has become the culture. It has become our modus operandi. It's the way people think, especially young people and especially those who are in the social media world. They think about influence. They think about their following. They want to increase their followers and brands have picked up on this. Remember back in the fifties, we would have something like a Mr. Clean commercial, fifties and sixties. And then in the seventies and eighties, you had more like, this is not an actor. This is a real mom wiping up this mess, you know, (laughs) And we go, oh, well, if it's a real person. And that was the start of it. And now brands want social media influencers to speak of their brand, to encourage their brand, because all their followers will now go out and buy the jeans or or pay for the wipes or or whatever it is. And I was thinking about that. and, and, And you know, the distance between that kind of influence and Jesus is just light years, light years. But you know the difference between that kind of influence and the kind of influence we see of Vladimir Putin is also huge. I don't know about you, I'm very concerned that the Ukraine is going to take all of our eyes off of climate change. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Goodness sakes, Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping These guys, I'll tell you what, social media influencers, no offense if you happen to be one, but that's pretty pathetic in terms of real influence on the global world stage. If one man can make a decision that costs people their lives, if one bully can come sweeping into a country in 2022, guess what, globalism's dead. Globalism is not what they all promised and said, which we all knew that anyway. It's not a world of peace. It will never be a world of peace until the influencer Jesus sits on the throne. And that's where we're headed. But right now, it's fascinating to me. In terms of the world stage and the influence of what's going on there and the world powers, tell you what, ain't no one gonna be buying your Etsy product during World War III. The shift of political power and and influence that we are witnessing right now is rife with end-time significance. We could go off on that. I can talk about Gog and Magog. I can tell you this much. Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog is flexing his muscles. And I didn't just say that Vladimir Putin is Gog, but I'll tell you what, Russia and Magog and the description in Ezekiel, the country there, it is flexing its strength. The bear is moving And the kings of the east are waiting and watching to make their play. And things are all setting up for for what is going to result ultimately in the return of Jesus. But there are things that will happen before then that are tragic and power in history, past, present, and future. There is no other. Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, and Christians, don't forget that. Don't forget in light of everything that happens in the world and in your world, Jesus is the same. He is unchanging. He is consistent. He is sure. All other so-called powers and potentates, They don't just pale by comparison. Actually, we could say they are, they have been, and they will be crushed and blown away like chaff. Daniel 2.44 says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. That's the kingdom of which I am a citizen that's what I'm signing up for. That's where my hope is. And when Jesus returns, as described in Revelation chapter 1, that vision of Jesus will see him as he is. And John did and fell down like a dead man. Read the picture of Jesus. It's overwhelming. When he returns, he will look something like that. Revelation 19 describes him on that white horse. Eyes a flame of fire, his, his mouth containing the sword of the word, and he comes riding in. And at that time, the world and all who have lived in it and live in it at that time will finally know the weight of his influence. Handled that influence. Think about it the most influential person who has ever lived or will ever live shunned the spotlight. He forsook fame. He neglected notoriety. He gave up glory. He set all of that aside. Jesus flew quietly under the radar for most of his ministry. This is fascinating. He healed then disappeared. He slipped away when the crowds began to swell. He raised the dead and said, tell no one. He even took himself with the 12 out of the public eye completely for the final winter of his ministry. Did you know that? It wasn't just all busyness right to the run-up of Calvary and that last Passover. No, John chapter 11, verse 54 tells us, therefore Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. And that's two to three months out from the crucifixion. Jesus just disappears. He's with his disciples. He's continuing to train them and teach them and talk with them and walk with them. But he just fades out of the picture for a few months there. In this city called Ephraim, it's in the Hebrew scriptures, Ephron, about 12 miles northeast of Jerusalem, right on the edge of the Judean wilderness. But at the start of chapter seven, It's the fall of the year. And we at this point have launched, in fact, there's quite a gap between chapter six and chapter seven. From the last verse of chapter six to the first verse of chapter seven, we we covered six months. We've just leaped another six months. And so at this point, we are two and a half to three years into Jesus' ministry and some six months out from the cross itself. And John begins chapter seven. After these things, Jesus continued to be walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews, literally the Judeans, speaking of the Jewish leadership, were seeking to kill him. Was Jesus afraid? No, hardly. But you know, it strikes me that Jesus never went looking for a fight. That just wasn't his style. It's not how the good news of the kingdom is shared And it's not to be that way with you or me. Romans 12, 18, Paul said, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Paul said, Romans 16, 17, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and set up a great debate for people to show up to. No. Keep your eye on them and turn away from them. Don't go looking for a fight. Titus 3.10, Paul says, Titus, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Don't sit there and keep spinning around and arguing and fighting. Don't go looking for a fight. Turn away from that stuff. You know the truth. Not the arrogant, contrary, and contentious. Those people sought to kill him. He withdrew from them because you never see him gunning for trouble. Not trying to make it happen. And by the way, this is one of those metatauta moments in John. Metatauta after these things. So we better think about that just for a minute. After what things? Well, again, it's been six months since the previous chapter, a chapter with, which ended with many disciples, not just people, disciples breaking fellowship with and walking away from Jesus We talked about this on Wednesday night. You might want to check it out if you haven't heard it. Jesus led these disciples right into a faith crisis. He pushed them to the brink of belief. He said, I am the bread of life. Come down from heaven. And while they grumbled and squabbled over what he meant by that, he finally said, look back at verse 54 of chapter six. He finally said, as if it wasn't enough, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him and the word eats there we noted midweek means to gnaw on and to chew and to munch it's it's graphic eating. It's what my wife accuses me of on occasion. Rick, you're enjoying the chips a little too much tonight. And I'm like, ah, 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 and they're all down on my shirt and everything. And he even told them that he was. In verse 63, he said, it's the spirit who gives life. Flesh profits nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. I'm talking to you about the truth here. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about taking a bite out of my arm. I'm talking about consuming who I am spiritually. But they still couldn't handle it. In fact, more than, than Jesus saying, talking about the flesh and blood buffet, more than that, what really upset them was Jesus claiming to have come down from heaven. That's what bothered the people. That is divine influence. He came from heaven. Verse 66, note this, John 6, 66, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him, Anymore. And Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? What's your breaking point? What's the final straw for you? What's the one thing that you could hear that would make you say, Ah, oh, no, 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 I, I I can't I can't do it. What would it take for you to walk away from Jesus? We've had it happen here on a Sunday morning. I, I can say it with a smile now, but it's always just, it's funny to me now in terms of our reaction, not in terms of people walking out, but, but it's happened where in the world, I, I've said something that was just biblical truth, spoken to something, we've had it happen a few times, some of you were here, where someone just heard that and they gather their things and they're always loud about it. They wanna make sure you know that they're leaving offended. This is not like Bill slipping out because he wants to get more coffee. This is, this is someone who's clearly upset and they grab their stuff and up and down the aisle and out the door. And, and it's so funny to me because I, I can see your faces. You just see me going, I see you all going. <laughs> what an uncomfortable, awkward silence when someone huffs out in a fence. Maybe that gives you a little bit of sense of how the 12 must have felt when Jesus said what he said and a bunch of people just walked away. Now, no, I I can't take that. We're talking disciples who walked away. John is very clear. It's interesting because John isn't so clear about the 12 apostles. He will refer to them, but through his gospel, he just calls them disciples. But when he says disciples, John often indicates many more than the twelve. And at this point, many more than the 12 came seeking Jesus at Capernaum. They came to listen to Jesus and learn from Jesus. Oh, they loved Jesus. They wanted to be fed by Jesus. You know, the bread of the feeding that he had done the day before. But this just pushes them too far. And as disciples, they say, nope, that's enough for me. And they gather up their things and they head out the door. And I wonder if in that, so people are heading for the door as his own, Disciples devoted to Jesus are sitting there going, Jesus went too far. Jesus, you pushed too hard. Followers, not critics, disciples. And by the way, their grumbling became their stumbling. Grumbling, 99.9% repeating. 99.9% of the time, grumbling precedes walking away from Jesus. It always starts there. It's a good place to check your own heart, to check my heart. When I'm starting to murmur and grumble, you know what? When someone leaves a church fellowship, grumbling has always preceded it, usually for months. To the point that when someone leaves, and people leave every church, so it's not just the bridge. We don't have just a mark on us or something, but when people leave a church, I know. I already know when someone comes to me and says, hey, do you know so-and-so has left here and they're going over there somewhere else? I'm like, well, first of all, bless them at that other place. But secondly, most of the time I'm not surprised because the grumbling always precedes the leaving. And that's what we see happening right here. Listen to me. We preach Christ crucified to Jews. A stumbling block and to Gentiles, foolishness. So any way you cut it, to the Jewish people, it's a scandal on. That's the word there. on. it's an offense. The cross is simply an offense. To Gentiles, it's just foolish. It doesn't make sense. Seven yet. Wow. Would you in this moment be out the door as a one-time disciple of Jesus? Or would you, like Peter, say? Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have words of eternal life. I love that Jesus keeps the door open for a few minutes. You do not want to go away also, do you? Peter, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love how brave Peter gets after Jesus has just been very brave. And he just speaks it out there. Some of us know that we don't have anywhere else to go. Do you know that's okay? If you're sitting there going, man, if I left church, if I left Jesus, I'd have nothing. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Sometimes it takes us getting to that place of recognizing I've got nothing and no one and nowhere, but I've got Jesus. When you get to that place, that's where you know what your faith is. There's no other faith. There is no other hope. There is no other love. Jesus is, as Peter said, the Holy One of God. There is no other. But Jesus spoke the truth. And because he spoke the truth, countless followers left him. And yet after these things, what's Jesus doing? Still ministering, still Emily, And then finally, we'll come back to this idea of the influencer. So feast, family, and if you wanna stay with F, you can go influencer with a little I and capitalize the F, influencer, okay? Feast, family, and influencer. And the first thing here in verse two, it is the time of the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles, the feast that they call in Hebrew, Sukkot. It's a wonderful feast, commanded in Leviticus 23, Verses 40 through 43, it's also called the Feast of the end gathering because it's at the harvest at the end of the year. The fall time frame, month of Tishri is when Sukkot always comes along. Sukkot, and just note this about verse 2, we're going to talk a lot more about Sukkot on Wednesday night. But I'm just real quickly, this feast is mentioned more than any other feast in the Hebrew Scriptures. Sukkot. The rabbis refer to it as the most joyful of all the feasts. This is the one, this is the party, this is the great cam males of Israel. Which, by the way, implies that all the females will be there too because the males can't really do much on their own. The feast was, (laughs) has a huge, huge kingdom significance, Sukkot. And that's what I was gonna talk about, but set aside and we'll talk about that on Wednesday night. Verse three. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you're doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. His brothers give this advice and I've heard this preached on as advice. This is just the advice of his brothers. Hey, you want to be known? That's the place to do it. Go up to the feast. The problem is that we know that they were baiting him. This is not just friendly, brotherly advice. They are baiting Jesus to post his influence, to go up and go public. How do we know that they were baiting him? Because verse five says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. They didn't tell him to go up to Jerusalem because they thought, yeah, Jesus, everyone needs to know you like we know you. They didn't know him. They didn't know who he was. They had no faith in their own brother, at least in terms of him being the Messiah that people were beginning to think he was. So the feast is Sukkot. The family, the family of Jesus here doesn't believe. The family, his biological half-brothers. Remember, they're half-brothers. They're not whole brothers because they share the same mother but not the same father. Joseph is not Jesus' father. So they share the same mother as in Mary, Luke 1.35, the angel Gabriel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Catholicism, and this is one of those times someone could walk out, so just prepare yourselves. Catholicism claims that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Well, there's a little problem with that Matthew kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. After that, all bets were off. Joseph was a man, newly married. Don't ask me any more about that. <laughs> kept her a virgin. And then in Matthew 13, it says, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, which is literally Yaakov, Jacob, and Joseph and Simon, and Judas, or Jude, and his sisters. Are they not all with us? And so we know that Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters, none of them born by the Holy Spirit. They were born by Joseph. Two of them wrote letters that reside in your New Testaments, in your Bibles, but they were letters that James and Jude or Jacob and Jude would not have written on this day. They did not believe their own brother. You know, you kind of hope when the outside world is rejecting you that at least your own family would rally around you. Anyone had a different experience? And often it's when you come to faith in Jesus. So just know that if you give your life to Jesus, you come to faith in Jesus and your family starts to scatter or starts to look at you differently or starts to push back, guess what? It happened to Jesus first. His own brothers didn't believe him. In fact, his whole family's unbelief is well-documented. Just listen to this. Mark chapter 3, verse 20 says he came in. I couldn't eat a meal in my ministry. That could end it right there. They couldn't even eat a meal. When his own kinsmen heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for he was saying, they were saying, he has lost his senses. Again, any of y'all ever have family think you were nuts because you followed Jesus? Well, his family thought he was nuts. And we're told in verse uh, 23, no, 31, 31, that his mother and his brothers arrived Mark chapter three, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called to him and the crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. John begins his gospel, chapter one, verse 12, as many as received him to them, Jesus. After the resurrection, of course, James, Jacob, Jacob and Jude received Jesus as their Lord. They became true family with Jesus, whole family with Jesus. After the resurrection, listen, brothers and sisters, You pray for your family, you love your family, you hold out hope for your family, and you continue to tell them about Jesus even when they think you're nuts. But some of our families are gonna have to see the resurrection before they believe. What do you mean? I mean the rapture of the church is gonna happen. And they're at the first resurrection. And there are gonna be many who are left behind People that we know, people that we love, don't give up hope. This was, this was a shining moment of hope for me when I realized this, that I pray for and I long for and I love those that are in my family who are not walking with the Lord. And I want to challenge and convict and continually bring it up to them, even if it causes contention. But I also know that should the rapture happen and they not believe, that's not the end. The world will go into a horrific time Unlike it is ever known, but praise the Lord, Revelation 7 does say countless multitudes will be saved out of the tribulation. Some are gonna have to see the resurrection before they get saved. I don't count on that. Right now, I'm counting on speaking the truth and loving my family and my friends, but I know that God's plan is bigger than than my eyes can see. Well, back in chapter 7, the brothers are goading Jesus to go up to Jerusalem. They're they're pushing on him, and they want him to be the influencer. If you're going to be an influencer, be the influencer. You're going to be the Messiah, be the Messiah, Jesus. (laughs) None of this wandering around stuff. Why are they even saying this to him? That these things are being said about their own brother? But I can tell you that what they're saying and how they're pushing and the whole influence that they're going for, that they're thinking about public influence in verse four, this comes of the fruit of unbelief. In fact, this is typical of the fruit of unbelief. James chapter three, verse 13 says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Who knows better about bitter jealousy and and ambition than Jacob, the brother of Jesus. He's writing from experience. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It's earthly and natural and demonic. And I can't say this for Jacob, but I can say it. If I was writing this, I would be remembering how I was earthly and natural and demonic toward my brother till I knew who he was. But the wisdom from above, listen, is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. That's amazing. Jesus, that's Jesus. He didn't market himself with the miraculous wine, He didn't promote himself with the poolside paralytic. He didn't capitulate to the crowds. He didn't widen his influence by walking on the water in the light of day for all to see. Someone of such influence as Jesus to do. And I got to tell you, the closer we get to Jesus' return, the more leery I get of any human influence. I just do. I'll, I'll listen to my, my brothers, my fellow shepherds. I'll, I'll listen to our ministry team. I'll, I'll sup with you and, and listen to you and, and glean wisdom because the wisdom that is from among believers is a wisdom from above. But I don't listen to the world to tell me how to live or where to go. I am just so low test on self-help because it's wisdom from below. It, it's, not, it's not godly wisdom. And the Bible says, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Humans are gonna try and give you directions to the feast. But if I wanna land at the marriage feast of the lamb, there's only one to whom I go for directions. Jesus who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. See, whether it's Vladimir putting his way through Ukraine, Or or, Xi jinping his way through Taiwan. (laughs) (laughs) Or any level of human power seriously trying to have their influence on you, on our community, on the country, or on the world. The directions of man are no bueno. (coughs) You listen to Jesus. You focus on Jesus. Verse 6. So Jesus said to them, his brothers, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. And having said these things to them, he stayed behind in Galilee. This is the only time that Jesus says, my time in the gospel of John says it twice here. It is synonymous with the times he has said, my hour, which we talked about recently. My hour, my hora, his hour. My hour has not yet come, he told his mother Mary at the changing of the water to wine. My my hour has not yet come. This is not my hour. He knew his hour. We hear that over and over. Right here, he says, my time is not here, but your time is is always opportune. My time Jesus is talking about that time, let's just be clear, when the fullness of his influence would be felt eternally at the cross. My time isn't here yet. That's my time. Now, listen. Jesus time on this planet came down to one moment. One moment, his entire existence as he walked on earth came down to his sacrifice at Calvary. That was the whole, his time, his hour, his focus for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's my time. Luke 19, verse 10. That's the entire focus of Jesus' time. And you know, it's the same for you and the same for me. I love what he says to his brothers. He says, "Your time is always opportune." Let's share an existential moment for a second here. My daughter Naomi is right now struggling with an existential crisis. She just found out that her Ghanaian birth certificate, which we know is wrong, says that she's 18. Her U.S. birth certificate, when we did the re-adopt in the U.S., says that she is 16 talking with Anna Marie who was there when Naomi was born and the grass was high she knows that it's probably sometime around the around the springtime of her 16th uh, that she is 16 but it was around in the spring her birthday's in August that's where we said it because we don't have a birth certificate for her but now the the United States will only recognize the Ghanaian birth certificate so Naomi just found out that she just launched from 16 to 18 in like a day <laughs> and she's so adorable cuz she's walking around the house going dad I'm having an existential crisis. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm 18 or 16 or if I'm walking in the grass. I don't know where I am. I told her this, and I will tell you the same thing. Your time on earth comes down to a single point. That's it. All the rest, lovely, wonderful, difficult, challenging, hard, soft, joyful, all of it, is window dressing to that point in time. That's it. Your time, Jesus says to his brothers, is always opportune. I know my time. I know why I'm here. I know what I've come to do, and that moment will come, and I will be on the cross. But your time is yet before you. It is always opportune. Your time to choose Jesus. Your time to say, I follow him. And listen, please hear my heart. Brothers and sisters, I have so many conversations with with Christians who have walked a long time and just feel like they're not doing enough for God. Let me tell you, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have already done enough. You've already done more than you will ever be able to do. And everything after that that happens through you or in you or by you in this world, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. And if there's not a lot of that, Okay. Or maybe there was a lot of that at one point in your life. But boy, right now, I'm just not, don't feel like I'm doing very much. Stop it. Just just stop worrying about it. Just trust in Jesus. Follow him. Do as he asks you to do. Maybe what he wanted you to do in your life was a whole bunch in your 40s, but now in your 70s, he's like, just chill. I got you. I don't know. I'm not Jesus. I'm not telling you to just chill in your 70s. We got children's ministry. We got stuff going on. No. No, what I'm saying is that we, we think chronologically in terms of accomplishing and continuing to accomplish right up to that final breath. And, and Jesus says, I just want you to trust me. And the moment that you trust me, that, listen to me, that is what defines your entire life, your existential moment. Why does this world... College professors, maybe colleagues of yours at work, family, friends, people around us. Why does this world seem to go out of its way to criticize Christianity? It just, it makes me almost laugh because it it just doesn't make sense. They don't go after Islam. They don't go after Buddhists. They're not even down on paganism. Oh, you're a pagan? That's kind of cool. Neo-pagan? Right on, what up? They don't go after that, but they go after Christianity. Why? Verse 7 again, the world cannot hate you, because, but it hates me. Why, Jesus? Because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. And if Jesus' ministry took place right here in 2022, they would call him a hater. He fits the profile. Jesus Christ, the hater, the intolerant, the judgmental, the bigot. Why? Because he spoke the truth about our sin. Because he called the world for what it was, evil. It is an evil world. There's no question. Is there good in the world? Of course there is. But Jesus spoke the truth is evil. So they hate me. Which brings us, number three, to the influencer. The feast, the family, the influencer. Again, verse 10, when his brothers had or when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem covertly and he won't see Galilee again until after the resurrection. Verse 11, so the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? And there was much grumbling, and the word grumbling is also murmuring, so there's a lot of talk among the crowds concerning him. And some were saying, he's a good man. And others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. And yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. They were quietly talking, you know, through their falafel. <laughs> and a mouthful of shawarma. Do you know what gin is? Right? But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and he began to teach. Now note this, verse 12 to me is fascinating. The Bible always calls it as it is. John acknowledges the talk on the street of some people saying he leads people astray. And you know that the Bible's the first book actually to say that. The Babylonian Talmud Sanhedrin 43 says that Jesus was executed on Passover because streets of Jerusalem. As Jesus goes up to the feast and he's covert and he's quiet and some don't even know who he is. I wonder if he was sitting there having a bagel and cheese while someone on the other side of the street was having a shawarma. They couldn't sit together, you know, because meat and cheese. But, but he's over here and they're over there and he hears someone saying he leads people astray. I wonder if Jesus heard that. But the Bible is is so spot on in telling us this is what was happening. This is what was being said in the streets of Jerusalem. He leads people astray. No, no, he's a good man. Listen to me, both points are wrong. Both perspectives in verse 12 are wrong. Jesus was not a good man. What do you mean? Well, a good man, first of all, wouldn't be running around claiming to be from or of God. No good man would do that. Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 18 said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was not just a good man. He could only truly be good if he was in fact the God man. Yes, he came across as a good man. Yes, people thought of him as a good man, but they were wrong. He wasn't a good man. He was God in the flesh. More than just a good man. But John covers these ignorant murmurings both ways because again, the Bible doesn't skirt the church, the, the, the truth. Jerusalem, when Jesus went up for this feast, was completely divided. It was tense. It was confused. That's Jerusalem today. Divided, tense, and confused. Those of you who are going to be with us in Israel about three, three and a half weeks from today will be in Jerusalem. Divided, tense, and confused. And it's not just on the street. The world religions clamoring and fighting and, and distrusting and not sure. And you go into Jerusalem, you sense it. You know why? Because I think the air is thick, in the spiritual realm around Jerusalem with the different spirits duking it out. Ukraine right now, keep your eyes open. They will soon be right back on Jerusalem. So he he goes up to Jerusalem, this holy city that that then and now is a holy tinderbox of physical and spiritual contention. Why does Jesus start teaching now? Why does he go up now to the feast in the first place And then start teaching, and I'll tell you why. The father told him to. The father told him to. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me, John 5.30. The father told him, father told him to go up. By the way, Deuteronomy 16, 16, three times in a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the feast of unleavened bread. All the males of Israel were required to go up to Jerusalem. You had to. Jesus knew that. Comment was made that the Passover was near in John chapter six, verse four. Passover was near. And so then Jesus fed the 5,000. F.F. Bruce, among other scholars, says this was one feast where Jesus just stayed in the Galilee. And as I process that and think it through, I think, no, no, he probably did go up to that Passover. John just doesn't talk about it because Jesus wouldn't have missed it. Jesus would have obeyed the law, his father's will, Deuteronomy 16, 16, the pilgrimage feast. He would have been up there for Feast of Unleavened Bread, which which is Passover, So he would have gone up. But here, I think Jesus fully intended to go up to Jerusalem for Sukkot, for this feast, but he waited because he didn't go on the word of his brothers. He went on the word of his father. He waited until the father said, go, go. God in flesh still yielded himself completely to the will of the father. The influencer was under the influence of God the father. Are you? Am I? Am I under the influence of God, motivated by self-will or motivated by God's will? That's the great tension of the Christian life. My will, his will. My will, his will. My will, his will in such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I am fully prepared. I am looking forward to and making plans, even right now, saying, Lord willing. Lord willing. Lord willing, I remember as a kid, I'd hear people say, Lord willing, and i go, oh, okay, those are just the spiritual ones, you know, Lord willing, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I understand something now, and Lord willing is part of my vocabulary now because it keeps me focused on what is right. Hey, I'll meet you for lunch, Lord willing. We'll finish this study, Lord willing. <laughs> because we don't know. And our focus is not on our longevity on this planet. No, it comes down to that existential moment. I believe you, Jesus. And then from there forward, it's all Lord willing. It's all the influence of God. And by the way, that does not mean that we justify our behavior or our decisions by always claiming God said so. Lord willing means that I am under his authority. I am under his will. And if he wills it, this is what my plans are. And be sure that he did, in fact, say so. Hey, if God said so, you need to do it. And if the Lord said so, then declare it, absolutely. But I say pray and wait and listen and come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And you'll know when God says so. In the meantime, Lord willing, we'll get done with this study. Verse 15. Verse 15, the Jews were then astonished because now Jesus, he's not only there, but he's teaching, he's he's exposed, he's out there. The Jews were astonished and they were saying, how has this man become learned having never been educated? Literally, literally in the Greek, it's how does this man have letters? Not talking about vocabulary. We would say, where did he get his rabbinical degree?" Where'd he get lettered? Where'd he get his RD? Rabbinical degree. Or his MDiv, you know. (laughs) I've got a quarter century old MS in clinical psychology, which basically taught me enough to know the counsel of man is foolishness without Christ. I've got degrees (laughs) that matter nothing to God. Have little or nothing to do with the teaching of the Bible and, and, and how I'm spending my life, you know what? Degrees don't matter to God. Discipleship does. Letters don't matter. Lordship. That's what matters to Jesus. No, I'm not saying education's not important, and I'm not saying that study is not valuable. I believe that it is. But what I'm saying is Luke 6:40. Jesus said, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been... Talk about influence. Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin just months after the crucifixion of Jesus. They stood before the men who called for that crucifixion. Sometimes, do people recognize me as having been with Jesus or having been with Jerry Seinfeld? I don't know. Sometimes it could go either way. Having been with Jesus, those are my letters. And God's glory, God's influence shines just as bright and sometimes even brighter through ordinary, uneducated, untrained people. Jesus didn't have letters. He had the spirit of the living God. Verse 16, so Jesus answered them and said, I love his answer. Where's your degree? What's your degree? What are your letters? My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching. He will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak it from myself. And if you know the Lord and if you live by the will of God, the teachings of Jesus are absolutely... The person who doesn't know God has no faith. The Bible will be boring or it will just offend. If you trust him, you will hang on every word. If you reject him, you'll be hung by every word. It'll be a scandal on or an offense. And the difference between the two is faith, that moment of faith that changes everything. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. He who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him to influence the entire course of eternity. And he did it by saying, focus on God, glorify God, praise the Lord God. Always deflecting the praise and glory and honor and even momentary influence off of himself and back to the Father. Back to the Father. Seeking the glory of the one who sent him. And he is true and there's no unrighteousness in him. Man, that's huge. That's huge. Jesus is always... That influence. Well, it's because there's so much unrighteousness in us. And where there's no unrighteousness in him and there's so much unrighteousness in us, you kind of want to reject all that righteousness. Does that offend you, good people? Here comes the hate speech. While you and I I may do some good things or try to live a good life, we are all, every one of us, still tainted by sin without Jesus. Now, that's an important caveat. Because I sit before you this morning as a completely righteous man by the blood of Christ. By my own behavior, a completely unrighteous man. By my own struggles, by my own sin nature, by my own ability, even as a follower of Jesus, to fall flat on my face, I am as unrighteous as they come. By the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, I am a He right- understands there is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There is not even one. And he goes on and on, but you get the idea. There's no unrighteousness in him, but there is unrighteousness in this world. And so we need His influence because he alone is righteous. Christians, get this down. We are only righteous because of Jesus. We are not righteous because we chose the right church or the right Bible translation or the right tradition or the right dogma. That is not what makes us righteous. The blood of Jesus makes us righteous. And we trust completely in that. By the way, when I understand that, And when it comes to my own personal influence in this world, the only impact I have of real significance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, and yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? There are killers in the crowd. Jesus knows it, so do the killers. Some of the people clearly don't know it. They think he's just being paranoid, but he knows And the killers themselves know. And I think the reason Jesus said this out loud, Why do you seek to kill me? was to let the killers know he knows what they're planning. And I think it set them back on their heels just a bit, about six months, just long enough for his time, for his hour. So Jesus intentionally kind of throws this out to them, and they're like, They were seeking to kill him. Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. And so right there, Jesus draws from the law to say, there are those of you in this crowd who call yourselves lawgivers, law shall not murder. Jesus says, I say to you, someone who's just angry with his brother is in serious danger. And Jesus always looked at the heart. Verse 21, Jesus answered them and said, I did one deed and you all marvel for this reason? By the way, I know how that reads in your Bibles. It's, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision. There's no punctuation. And I really think, in fact, most scholars, conservative scholars would agree that for this reason ends at the end of verse 21. So that it should read like this. I did one deed and you all marvel for this reason. You're so excited about the one thing I did. But then he continues on. Moses has given you circumcision, not because it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I'm so smart? Sabbath or circumcision? Which has a higher value? Ask any Jew today, which is a higher value, Sabbath or circumcision? And unless they were really well attuned to this, they'd go, oy, they, <laughs> Sabbath, circumcision, both, both. Yeah, but what if one gets in the way of the other? But if it landed on Shabbat, if the eighth day happened to be Sabbath, guess what? Circumcision superseded Sabbath. Sabbath would be literally by rabbinical law violated so that circumcision could take place because circumcision is pre-law and bigger, more important than the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen to me, shouldn't healing and restoring a person to wholeness supersede Sabbath as well? Isn't that a bigger value? It's as if Jesus says, you cut for the sake of covenant, should I not cure? According to appearance but judge with righteous judgment. We're going to end right there. Listen, today's influencers, from the most powerful on the world stage to the most pathetic in their den, today's influencers are all about appearances, for good or for bad. What Putin is doing right now in the Ukraine is all about appearances. I know, I'm not... I'm not missing the fact that people are losing their lives and families are being destroyed and houses are being taken and an entire country is being bullied into submission. I'm not uh, uh, understating that. But what I'm saying is what he's doing is for appearance because he wants a return of mighty Russia. It's all appearances. And even what's going on right now in Eastern Europe, it pales by comparison. It is superficial when weighed against eternity. Eternity's the issue. Judgment. Judge the righteous judgment. Make the right call. Discern the truth. Come under the divine influence of the Spirit of God. Don't judge by feeling. Don't act on emotion. Don't cling to pride. Do not lean on your own understanding or on the counsel of man. And listen, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3, speaking of Messiah, prophesying Jesus, says, He will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked and my friends, in each and every case he will be absolutely right to do so. Because Well, Revelation 19, verse 1 says, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, influence of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for you to clear the air. I pray for you to push back on any influences that would keep us from responding to you. I pray that we would be allowed at this point, be given the freedom to breathe in this place and make unhindered decisions in our lives. And ask you, Lord Jesus, to move in us and to have your will among us. In Jesus' name, amen.